0: I can't see the same. I can't see the see I can't see the same. I can How is everybody? Have Have you got enough space there? Yeah. If you need to shuffle your chairs, feel free to move around there. Okay, so we are back into Genesis today. We're slowly getting there. Uh, We're up to uh, a really exciting part of Genesis. Gosh, it's all exciting, isn't it? But I'm a bit excited about today's part of Genesis. So today, uh, the sermon's called A Flood of Grace. So I bet you can guess what part of Genesis we might be up to. All right, A Flood of Grace. Let me just pray to get us started. Heavenly Father, we are ready to have our um, our minds blown and our hearts changed. So would you just speak? to us today? Would you form um, the image of Jesus in us? Would you speak truth in our life? Uh, Would you just correct our our thoughts where they need correcting? Would you just, um, yeah, would we just walk away, change this afternoon because of the truth and the power of your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the question is, I guess, where do we see Jesus in the story of Noah and the flood? Is grace present there? Or is this story just a whole lot of God is angry and is going to smite the world kind of judgment? I want to say there's grace in this story and there's Jesus too, if you know where to look. I think um, people often think that God's uh, predisposition is to destroy the earth. And, and, and sometimes I think people uh, read the Bible with that belief or, or certainly look at Christianity with that sort of mindset that God just wants to, to is, is angry. And, and I think often passages in the Old Testament, even the New Testament, like Revelation and other passages, are sort of um, interpreted with this, God is angry. I'm going to get you sort of version of God. And I think sometimes people interpret the meaning of world events or natural disasters in that way too. God is angry and he's going to get you. God is angry with sin and so he's going to destroy us and this entire planet in one big, fiery, holy act of angry judgment. Well, God is angry at sin And he does act to do something about it. But what is it? Maybe it's not quite what we sometimes think. God has a purpose for his creation, doesn't he? That's what we've been seeing in the book of Genesis. God has a purpose for his creation. And you know what? He's not going to let sin destroy that purpose. God is angry at sin. But he's angry at it because it's destroying his good creation. And so um, the God of love we see here in Genesis is acting to protect his precious creation. The flood, it really is about grace. It really is. In the story of the the flood of Genesis, we're going to be looking at chapter 6 through 9, so make sure you've got it there ready to go because it's going to help you if you can just follow along with what I'm saying. If you want one of our Bibles in the cupboard, run up and grab one. Right here if you want one. Feel free to come and grab one. Yep, yep, if you want one. (laughs) Right in this story, we are going to see God's grace. God's grace on display in four ways. You ready for it? You ready for it? And and you ready? Because I want you to listen to this. You ready? Four ways: a plan, a proclamation, a provision, and a promise. Okay, a plan, a proclamation, a provision, and a promise. So let's. Let's recap back to Genesis chapter 1 for just a quick moment. What's God's purpose for creation? Genesis 1.28, who can tell me? What's God's purpose for creation? <coughs> Feel free to talk. Genesis 1.28. To be fruitful and increasing number. Fill the earth and subdue it. it mm. That's right. He, he, okay. Um, yeah. yeah. That's oh, I'm sorry. I'm just kind of <laughs> reading it as I'm answering. <laughs> you <laughs> are. You are reading and answering. That's right. Be fruitful. <laughs> Multiply. Fill the earth. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Care for the Care earth. For the okay? Earth. Yeah. That's that's God's purpose uh, for creation. So we are to fill the earth with his good image, aren't we? But what happens instead? What do we see happening instead? Well, we disobey God, don't we? And, and this image that He's given us becomes corrupted and broken. And so humi- hu- humanity begins to fill the earth with that broken image instead. Um, and, and so you know, we we've, we lose our identity, and we lose that 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 dignity and that worth that we've been given as children of God. And and instead we gain Fear and shame, and remember in Genesis chapter three that our relationships are fractured with one another, with God, and with creation. Um, we see accusations starting to happen, and blaming, and jealousy, and murder, and, and we see all that in Genesis chapter three and four. And and so it's 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 that image that humanity um, is is. Multiplying and spreading across the earth. If you'd have a quick little look, and we won't read any of it, but Genesis chapter 5 we see a genealogy. And you see from this genealogy that indeed humanity is multiplying. We're doing that, aren't we? But if we have a look in Genesis chapter 6, uh, verse 5, let's let's see what image we are spreading across the earth. Genesis 6, verse 5 says. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. We jump down to verse 11 and 12. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence and God saw that the earth was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon earth. The earth, what words are you hearing there? Corrupt, violence, wickedness. Humanity is multiplying, but is it God's image we are spreading? No. We're seeing here there's this compounding snowball effect of sin happening. A bit like compounding interest, but kind of in a bad way. And, you know, as I, I reflect on that and I, and I think about it in relation to, to me and I wonder if for a moment you could just think about that that image in relation to you and and, and what image are you filling your corner of God's earth with? Are you filling the earth with the, the, the image that he wants you to fill it with or is it a broken, corrupted, fractured image that you're filling your world with, and I'll say right here, right now, if you don't have Jesus in your life, it will be a fractured, <coughs> corrupted image that you will be filling God's world with. You know, we on our own can't put a stop to the, the brokenness that has been um, uh, that, that has damaged humanity with, but God can. Like, we can't free ourselves from that broken, corrupted image, but God will. Like, that's the message of Genesis. That's the message of the Bible. That's, that's the gospel story right there. You are stuck in sin. And you need, you need a flood. That's what I want to say to you today is you need a flood today. And this is a life or death situation for you and for our world. And today what I want to say to you is you need a flood of grace in your life. Have you ever been in a situation that you couldn't um, free yourself from? You know, that you were just stuck. It was just so beyond you to fix it. It was so beyond you to get out of it. You know, you were trapped. And, and maybe maybe it's been a situation that for you was life or death I remember a a situation I was was in once where I was trapped and it was a life or death situation I had a car accident and I've shared this story with you before but many years ago I had a car accident and um, my car ran off the road flipped upside down and landed in an irrigation channel and so I was upside down in my car strapped into this vehicle And I was immersed in water. Um, You know, it doesn't get much more life or death than that moment, okay? I I was trapped in water, okay? And um, you know what, in in that moment, as I was confused, as I was disorientated, because I didn't quite know what had just happened, it all happened so quickly. I knew it was bad, though. I didn't know what had happened, but I knew it was bad. In that moment, I heard God say to me, Annette, you need to undo your seatbelt. And I remember reaching up, because I was obviously I was upside down, reaching up, click, and then the next moment I knew I was somehow out of the car, on the edge of the car on the bank, breathing air again. I'd been trapped in water. It was life or death. I couldn't free myself. And I needed a flood of grace. I needed God to rescue me from the very real power of death that that water held over me. I needed God's direct word and direct revelation to me. I needed his presence. I needed his guiding hand. Annette, you need to undo the seatbelt. I needed him to somehow suck me out of that car and I'm still not too sure how he did it. You know, what I received in that moment of physical need, it very much parallels what I need daily, physically but also spiritually. And it's what you need too. You need his word and his revelation spoken into your life. You need his guiding hand and you need his flood of grace in your life. You know, this, this corruption and the evil and the violence that has infected humanity, and, and I, you don't have to look very far to see it, do you? I'm sure you come face to face with it regularly. This corruption and violence and evil that has infected humanity, it is beyond human control. They are stuck in it like I was stuck in that car. It's beyond human control, it's beyond human stopping. You know, chapter six, verse five, in there in Genesis, we read it before, says every inclination, not just some, every inclination of the thoughts of their heart, even just their thoughts, was only evil continually. Man, that sounds pretty substantial to me. Every inclination of the thoughts their heart was only ever evil. And in case we didn't get it, it adds continually. Like this is how stuck our world is in the broken, fractured identity that sin has given us. Humanity is completely bound and stuck in this broken version. However, however, God has a purpose for his creation and he's not going to let sin destroy that purpose. That is good news right there. God has a purpose for his creation and he's not going to let any of this evil, this brokenness, this violence, this corruption destroy his good creation. So what I want to say to you today is when something appears to be bad in your life or in this world... Like, you know, we see a flood, for example. Can we actually look into that situation and see God's love or God's grace at work in that situation? And we're going to think about that concept um, scripturally. But, but I also want us to think about how to apply it to our lives. And what we're going to see as we continue through Genesis is we'll see this, this idea woven through Genesis that, that what man intended for harm, God intended for and it uses for good. And um, as we work our way through to the story of Joseph at the end, I want you to keep that idea in your mind, that what, what humanity means for evil, what humanity does out of its corruptedness and its, its flaws and its failure, God actually takes hold of those flaws and those failures, and he uses them for his good purposes. You know why he does that? Because his grace is so much bigger than our failures. His grace is so much bigger than our sin. And what a relief. What a relief it should be for you to know that. Hey, what a relief it is to know that. His grace is big enough. To do that, it's really important you understand this because, again, it goes to the heart of what it means to be human. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3? Uh, there were questions that were raised for Eve and us in Genesis 3. Remember those questions Do you really trust God? Will He really provide all that you need? Has God really acted in your best interests? Is God really good and does God really bless you? Do you remember those questions from Genesis chapter 3? We've got to get hold of this idea that God, despite what is happening in our world, that is so broken and corrupt and full of sin, despite your failings, despite the failings of others towards you, God has a purpose for his creation. He has a purpose for your life and he will not let sin destroy that purpose because his grace can overcome that. When we see God's favour and love and provision for us in the midst of human sin and human suffering, we can answer a wholehearted yes to these questions. Yes, I trust you, Lord. Yes, you will provide what I need. Yes, you do act in my best interest. Yes, you are really good, God. And yes, you will really bless me. Because to answer no to those questions is to agree with the enemy. It's to agree with Satan. You know, it's to believe him and not our heavenly father. And to do that is the ultimate act of disobedience. You know, there is so much bloodshed in the Bible, so much suffering in the Bible, isn't there? There's a lot of it. There's a lot of suffering and bloodshed in history. Anyone who has even a... a a, a vague idea of human history you'll know how much suffering and bloodshed there is in human history even in our present day there is so much bloodshed and so much suffering but i want us to start to to look to see god's grace to see how God is still outworking his good in the presence of bad, um, rather than creating a theology that says that God makes the bad so that he can do the good. You know, Can you see the subtle difference there? Mm-hmm. God uses the bad. He doesn't make the bad to do the good. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really important difference there. Um, you know, whether it's our views on culture or politics or end times or our personal lives, let's look to see where God's goodness and mercy and grace is at work. As I said before, I'm going to keep saying it God has a purpose for creation and He's not going to let sin destroy that purpose. In the flood story, we see a plan. A proclamation, a provision, and a promise. So let's have a look at those four ways he floods his world with grace. Firstly, a plan. God makes it his purpose to destroy sin. Uh, he He said he would in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Remember, that was the first time we actually get a glimpse of the gospel. Go and read it at home if you need to refresh yourself, where he says, one day... I'm going to, I'm going to um, uh, destroy you, Satan. I'm going to destroy sin. So God makes it his purpose to destroy sin. Let's have a look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 13. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. And then verse down to verse 17. For my part, I'm going to bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on earth shall die. And uh, God tells Noah, of course, to, to build a, a giant, effectively a giant square box, really, and um, it's for him and his family and a bit of a kind of a representative sample (laughs) of all the animals on earth except of course the fish that are going to be okay in this flood so god's plan is to flood the earth and and he's going to destroy every living thing he's made except those that are in the ark Now, when it comes to sin god it's not just helplessly standing to one side, wondering how it all went wrong and thinking, geez, maybe I'd better create a parallel universe on another planet. You know, they might go better next time. This one's broken. Let's head to Mars, folks. <laughs> God has a plan. After all, he's sovereign, isn't he? He's in control. He's powerful. And, and I want to say God has a plan for you. When it seems like evil and suffering has the upper hand in your life, God still has A plan. He's still sovereign. He's still powerful. He's still in control. And evil does not win. We see grace here in this story. There is hope. He has a plan to deal with sin. Genesis 6.18 But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come out of the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Part of this plan of God's includes a promise or a covenant. And so the plan is not just to aimlessly destroy. The plan is actually to preserve and to renew life. So for you, when... um, you know, when things are going astray in your life, as they're prone to do from time to time, anyone agree with me there? When yeah, things go astray from time to time, don't they? Trust that God has a plan um, to actually renew you and to renew your family, not to destroy it. It's, it's actually not a flood of destruction, but it's a flood of grace And it's a flood of renewal. We we just think it's a flood of destruction. But actually, it's God's grace and God's plan for renewal that is really at work. And so we see here in Genesis chapter 6 that water fills the earth. There's this giant cosmic reset button here. And and really, as you read it, you'll see that kind of what happens is the earth returns to its original pre-creation watery state of chaos. Everything with the breath of life dies. Everything, of course, except Noah and those that were in the ark. Let's have a read of chapter 7, verse 23 and 24. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, human beings and animals and creeping things and birds of the air. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. And the waters swelled on the earth for 150 days. Wow. Waters swelled on the earth for 150 days. Um, Can you imagine how terrifying that would have been? Hey, I mean... You know we we struggle with a few weeks of social isolation in front of Netflix and Zoom church, don't we? Hey, a hundred and fifty days in this wooden coffin-like box, bobbing about on the water. No one for company but your immediate family members. <laughs> hey, sounds scary. <laughs> and your pets, and a few extra animals. I'm thinking, I'm thinking if I'm Noah, I'm wondering, do I really trust God? Hey, who here would be thinking that? Mm. Will he really save me? Has he forgotten about me? You know, day one, full of faith. Day two, praise you, Jesus. Day three, God God will conquer. Day four, day five, Jesus. Day six, day seven. Imagine it, 150 days waiting. Mm. Will God get me out of this trial? Is God really good? Does he really have a plan in all of this? What I want to say to us this afternoon is, are you willing to wait for God? Will you wait to see the effect of his grace in your life? Or will you grow tired and lose faith? Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and all the domestic animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. What sweet words. God remembered Noah. God remembered his promise. Whatever trial you might be facing right now or whatever trial you face next week or next month or next year, God will not forget you. God remembers you. He sees you. Do you know that? He sees you. It's it's not like you're just kind of like the the ant in the ant nest, or the big black spider on the flo- on the floor there. Um, God remembers you. He sees you. It's all right. It's not moving. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, God has a plan for you. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He's in control. I want you to know that the watery chaos is not the final word. When I was trapped in that car, when I was confused, when I was disorientated, when I didn't know what was happening, the watery chaos did not have the final word in my life. My heavenly father, my creator, God did. And so for Noah, God remembers Noah, the water subsides. The ark comes to a rest on dry ground and Noah and his family and the animals, they can leave the ark. They've been saved. What was Noah's response? What did Noah do? If you were to keep reading there, you would see that um, Noah builds an altar And he offers a sacrifice of thanks to the Lord. Noah worships. Noah worships. Do you worship when God has has saved you from something? I remember after that car accident, when I was safe, when I was out of the water, when I was on dry ground, there was this overwhelming sense of gratitude and thankfulness for God preserving my life. And I remember, I remember clearly as I was transported by ambulance to kind of a few different hospitals, I got to do a bit of a tour of the Riverina ER department. Um, as, I, as I'm lying there in the, the various ERs that night, I just remember being so grateful. And I just wanted to worship God. I couldn't see a thing, my face was swollen up like you wouldn't believe, blood everywhere. But I can just remember worshiping in the emergency room. Can you do that? Can you worship when you're lying, bruised and battered on the on the hospital bed? You know, God has a plan. God has a plan; He truly does. Secondly, God makes a proclamation. He he makes uh, an announcement or a declaration about what is to happen. What God's intent is for humanity and for your life, I must say, post the flood. Let's read chapter 9, verse 1. Here's God's proclamation. He says this, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Does that sound a little bit familiar? Yeah, Sounds like what we read at the start, doesn't it? Genesis 1, 28. Mm-hmm. Hey? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. God has a plan and a purpose for his creation and he won't let anything stop that purpose. I encourage you, grab hold of Genesis 1, 28. Memorise it. Memorise it. It's a good one to have. In your heart. You know what I love about this proclamation God makes right here? Do you know what? It just blows my mind a little bit and I just get excited. Let me read it to you again. <clears throat> God blessed Noah and his sons and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Do you know what word just jumps out at me as, as just being like, wow. The word Be. <laughs> mm-hmm. The word be, I know that's a rather simple little word to get excited about, but do you know why I get excited about that word be? Because of the Hebrew grammar, huh? (laughs) I won't won't get too heavy here with you today with the Hebrew grammar because I'm not really an expert and don't really understand. But there's this fun thing called an imperative there, all right? Now, imperatives, they're kind of (laughs) cool. Trust me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're kind of cool. This here is actually a command, a, a positive command. It's an instruction to do something. That's what an imperative is. It's a it's a command. Go and do something. That's the sort of the, the word it is. We are given the command to do well. Like we're given the command to flourish. We're given the command to be fruitful. We're given the command. To multiply. God's instruction for us is to flourish, it's to have babies. Hey blokes, that sounds like a fun command, don't you think? Huh? <laughs> um, to make families and communities. You know, God it's God announces, He says, You will be fruitful, you will multiply, you will fill the earth, you must flourish because it's my command hey i don't know those people who think that christianity is all about don't don't not shouldn't mustn't don't no it's full of imperatives it's full of these positive commands to do well anyone here want to kind of do well and flourish one one and an amen come on we can do one better than a one and an amen who here Feels a little bit excited about the command that God gives you to be fruitful and to flourish. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'll take the woo-hoo. <laughs> woohoo indeed. I agree. There is a whole world out there for you waiting for you to flourish in. Waiting for you to fill it with creativity and beauty and good things. And God says, go! Have fun. Don't make your Christian life about doom and gloom and things you must and things you should. Have fun. Here it is here. God commands you. Go and have fun. Genesis 8.21. What have we got here? 8.21. God says, uh, just the second part of that verse, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, The inclination of the human heart is evil from youth, nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. God, again, he proclaims, he proclaims, he declares, never again am I going to curse the ground like this. Never again will I destroy all living things, even though human heart is a bit messed up, is a bit evil quite evil in fact from a young age still I will not destroy my creation again. God says my proclamation is that humanity will be blessed and Noah trusts this proclamation. He follows the instruction he goes and he has sons. Uh, he and his sons and families they leave the ark, they populate the earth and they till and farm the ground. you see there in chapter seven he plants a vineyard. And some grapes. Has a lot of fun <laughs> um, with those grapes. They're too much. <laughs> Look, to be fair to Noah, he might have known that when you ferment them too much, you, you know, you drink it, you get. Oh, we do. Yeah, he might have known. I mean, it was the first time. It was the first time anyone planted a vineyard. Come on, like, go go easy on him. Um, you, you know what? You can trust God at his word too. You really can. Um, You might not understand every command he gives you, every instruction. You might not understand everything that happens in this world, but you can trust his declaration that humanity is to be blessed, that he commands you to be blessed. It's really, it's quite simple, isn't it? Like we, we complicate it, don't we? Don't Christians just love to complicate the simple? We make rules, lots of beliefs and suspicions and we put regulations on each other and our faith. Sometimes we like to get about and we fast and pray for 40 days to determine if it's God's will to speak to a neighbor or to go to an event or something. Hey? I mean I've been a bit facetious here, but sometimes we just make it complicated for ourselves. Trying to figure out what God's will is and what we should be doing and how we should be living. And and God just says flourish. Thrive, prosper, enjoy, abundantly fill the earth with my good image. Spread my goodness across the face of the earth. Enjoy time with your family. Enjoy time with one another. Enjoy the world. Enjoy creation. Be creative in it. God says, enjoy me. Worship me. Trust me. What a proclamation. I mean, what a flood of grace that is. This is an awesome story. I love this book. It's full of good things. All right, so plan, proclamation, and provision. 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 Hope you're appreciating my alliteration today. Just like Genesis one to two, God gives Noah and humanity all they all they need to outwork this. Like you might think, well, it's all well and good God that you say that I'm to thrive and prosper, but look how. Have you seen my life lately? Well God will give you what you need. He'll do it. Um, God gives them all they need to outwork this command. So what is it that God provides them? He provides them blessing. Again, we've sort of already touched on this, but God blesses his people. Noah and his offspring are blessed. God speaks a a blessing over them as as the representative human beings. And so I want you to know that you have God's divine favour upon you. And when you are blessed by him, you will receive all you need to do well in the world. Secondly, he gives them a concession. Genesis 9 3. Let's have a look. Genesis 9-3. Here's the concession he gives them. Um, so obviously, the, um, yeah, where are we? Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And just as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So if you if you haven't yet noticed where the grace is in this flood story, um it is right here as a concession. God lets the meat meet. I mean, that's amazing grace. Like Scotch fillet, mm-hmm. pork roast, yeah. lamb cutlets. Oh. Uh huh. Oh yeah, maybe not pork roast in the Old Testament. Anyway, skip forward a while and then you get the pork roast. <laughs> oh, like, spit roast back then. Hey, Mm. Um, look, there's grace right there. Hey, no, look, the ground is cursed, isn't it? So, it's God recognizes it's difficult to provide food for you to flourish and fill the earth with. So, I'm gonna have to upgrade your food source. So, He um, says, Hey, eat meat, and He gives that to them as a concession. So, even in the presence of difficulty and curse, God makes a way, God makes a way for us as well. God will provide all that you need to thrive. He will. Okay. Um, do you believe that though? Yeah. Do you believe that? Are his intentions towards you good? Yep. Do you think he's holding out on you? No. Okay, our next one. Promise. Uh, Genesis nine. Here we get to the real, um, the real beauty bit, and this is our last point: a promise. Genesis nine eleven to seventeen. I will establish my covenant with you, uh, that shall never, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Uh, God said this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on earth. Right here is where we really see grace. In action, this this right here is the climax to the story. Uh, covenant is a, an alliance or some sort of pledge of relationship. It's a promise that's made between two parties. You might be familiar with the idea of a, a, a marriage covenant. Okay. The real highlight here is the word bow. Some of your translations might say rainbow, and I want you just to see that actually. The Hebrew actually says bow. It doesn't actually say rainbow. It actually says bow. And um, this sort of idea, if you have a listen to some of the spoken gospel podcasts or even get out your copy of the Jesus Story Bible, you'll actually see uh, this idea of of, of a bow being um, brought out really beautifully. This is really special and really significant here. So the word bow that's actually used here refers to a, a weapon for battle, as in a bow and arrow okay so a bow um it's it's a it's a it's a weapon it's used to wage war against someone against an enemy isn't it and in the flood you know what we see we see God's war against sin and human corruption being waged against the earth and all living creatures in it in the flood we see God's weapon kind of aimed at us but Right here in this covenant, in this promise, when God places his war bow, his bow in the sky, he places it there as a promise, as a sign, as a symbol that his future war against sin would be fought very, very differently. Think about, think about you know, a rainbow. It's in the shape of a war bow. Think about which direction the arrow in that bow would be pointing. If you imagine a rainbow, where's the arrow in that bow pointed? It's pointed to heaven. It's pointed to heaven. And that symbol, it's not just a pretty colour in the sky, it's a symbol and it's a pledge that God will one day direct his punishment, and his war against sin at himself. He will wage war against sin and human corruption, not by pointing his war bow at us, but at himself. And here's where we get to the real beauty of this story, and here's where we see Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, actually verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus Christ, God the Son, innocent, free from the plague of sin and corruption that had covered the earth, this Jesus, God the Son, suffers, is abused, is wounded, is pierced, he bears our sin. The war bow has been pointed at Jesus By carrying our sins to the cross, and it's interesting here in that verse 24 that I just read, that word that's translated as cross actually also means wood or tree. Um, By carrying our sins to this wooden tree, this cross, we can be free from the corrupting, destroying plague of sin and we can live righteously as God intended humanity to live. Jesus is wounded by the war bow. He's the representative of all of humanity. And instead of destroying the power of sin um, uh, uh, by causing death on a cosmic scale like a flood, God destroys the power of sin by causing the death of one man who stands as a representative for us all. Noah is saved by a wooden box. We are saved by a wooden cross. God in Jesus is waging war against sin and human corruption by pointing the bow and arrow at himself and by his wounds, you have been healed of the disease of sin. Amen. You should be excited. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. We just keep reading there. Um, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. We are free from the disease of sin. We are returned to fellowship with God and no longer are there angels with flaming swords that keep us out of God's presence in the garden. We have a way back into God's presence and a way back to Eden. This is the promise of the gospel This is the promise of salvation. This is the flood of grace we need. Amen. Amen. But what? What's our response? I mean, amen, and I wish you'd finished so I can have a coffee is one thing. All right, I know what you're thinking because I've been in those seats. I've thought it before. Come on, this is good. Let us get out. I'm almost there. What should our response be? I mean, I think something as grand as this, on a cosmic scale as this, it probably needs a response, don't you think? Adoration. Yeah, adoration. Definitely. It's interesting. I've never taken much notice of uh, this verse before, but it's it's amazing. If we keep reading on from verse from one Peter three eighteen, I just read. We're going to keep reading a bit more. 1 Peter 3, 20 to 21. <laughs> Pay attention to this. This is this is great synergy right here. Um, here. Right here in the New Testament. Noah built the ark. Oh, look at that. We're talking about Noah today. There it is. Noah built the ark in which a few people, eight in fact, were rescued through water. That functions as a signpost for you pointing to baptism which now rescues you, not by washing away fleshy pollution, but by the appeal to God of the good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism that now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Christ. What should our response be? God saved and rescued Noah from his death via this ark of wood from a tree and they emerged from the floodwaters alive to begin a new life in a new creation. And baptism is symbolic of this. It's symbolic of what God has done at the cross through the death and resurrection of Jesus the Saviour. You know, when you get baptised, what happens? You are immersed in water and you are declaring that you place your trust that in God, that your old sinful nature has been put to death in those floodwaters. It has been washed away. It has been destroyed in the water baptism is a symbol for us that we have been forgiven we have a clean conscience now before god our guilt our shame our hiding from him is gone that broken identity is washed away and we are saved and we are raised we are pulled out of those floodwaters to live a new life as new people as new creations Baptism doesn't make you clean before God. It doesn't save you, but it is the response that we make towards God when we know that our conscience is clear and clean. You know, one way that you know you are saved is that you want to express that salvation publicly through water baptism. It's your way of saying, Lord, I trust in your provision I trust that your goodness is now my goodness. I trust that that in you I find all all I need to live well, to spread your good image across the earth. And I'm not going to look to get wise or get good on my own. I'm not going to eat from the tree of good and evil. I will only eat from the tree of life, from Jesus, who is my way, my truth, and my life. And so... What should our response to this be? I'm saying if you believe this stuff, if you believe that that Jesus has washed away your old, corrupt, broken, sinful nature and has risen you to new life as a new creation, then as a pledge of your clear conscience before God, as your way of saying yes and amen to those promises, I want to say you need to be baptised. You need to be baptised. That's, that's the response you need to have. I'm sorry for making this response call in winter. I apologize. But you need to be baptized. If this is real, if God has spoken to you today, if something in your heart is stirring and you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. That is your response. That is your amen. That is your yes, this is me. This is what you've done in my life. So if that is you, I want you to come and see me afterwards and arrange a time to have a bit more of a chat about what baptism, what immersion in water and being raised to new life in, in that in that um, symbolic event actually means. All right? I want you to don't um, don't put it off. If God is stirring something, if I want you to explore it. I'll make a time. I'll have a coffee with you and I'll chat it through with you a little bit more about what that involves. Okay? does we can find a heated pool that's all that's stopping you we'll heat the water (laughs) all right let me close in in prayer lord um just just continue to stir this message upon our hearts father when we uh, (laughs) are tempted to doubt your goodness and your grace remind us of Noah's flood send us a rainbow to remind us that your war bow is now pointed at Jesus and not at us when we experience condemnation and shame and guilt would you remind us to look to Jesus as the one who has um, suffered on our behalf and set us free from that corrupt broken image Lord God would you just fill us with your good image to fill the earth and for those who who um, have heard you speak into their life today, and who want to take that step um, forward in baptism, Lord, would you just um, continue to speak to them of that need to do that? If if, if that is um, if that is what you are placing on their heart, Lord, we thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name, Amen.